chapter 5, uh, doing the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be starting in verse 20, going to verse 26. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before you go, before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, what does that mean? Weren't the Pharisees supposed to be the cream of the crop, top of the heap when it came to the righteousness of the ancient times? Well, arguably, in a sense, they were. Um but it was strictly in an earthly, superficial sense. Meaning, they had not violated the letter of the law. They had never killed anybody. They hadn't done anything like that. But, as Christ shows through 21, through the end of the chapter, it's not the letter of the law he's concerned about. It's the spirit of the law. And I'm sure a lot of you, you know, have probably heard the ancient debate of, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And for those who are a little shaky on it, basic rundown is, uh, let's say the parents out there, you know, you tell your child, you know, to get in the tub after he comes in from outside, he's been playing outside, he's dirty, covered, you know, it's all just a mess. Well, he goes into the bathroom, and you don't hear water running for a while. So you go in there and you check, and he's sitting in the tub just looking at you, well, the age-old philosophical question is, is, has he disobeyed you? Yeah, he kept the letter of the law, like he did exactly what you told him to do. He went and got in the tub. But the spirit and the intent behind what you were saying was for them to wash, have a bath, and get ready to move on for the rest of the day. So, the question, so then, so, well, Christ is here to say, And I kind of, and I tend to agree that there is no such distinction when it comes to the law of God. There is no letter of the law and spirit of the law. There is just the law. And if you have violated one, you are guilty of violating the other, especially the spirit of the law. You then have violated the letter of the law. So then when a violation has occurred, sin has been committed. And when sin's committed, Well, you now stand guilty before God and condemned. So, therefore, by definition, 
Righteousness cannot exist. So thus, the Pharisees only had their superficial righteousness because God could see the spiritual violations of the law, but the people could not. So, where does Christ choose to start his discussion on the spirit of the law? Well, it starts in verse 21, where it says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever's mur- whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So he starts with murder and its spiritual equivalent of anger. So the next question is, is why is anger associated with murder and how? Well, I've found that the answer to that very question lies in the very nature of anger itself. Well, you know, when I get truly mad at something or someone, and I'm talking like almost blind rage, what is the impulse that comes out of that emotion? It's usually the destruction of said object that is angering me. And what is murder but the destruction of an image bearer? Now, if we look at verse 22, we, say, we see that it says, you know, you fool. If you say that, you're guilty of the hell of fire. Well, I want to say here that if you look at the book of Proverbs, where it always talks about, you know, don't answer the fool according to his folly, and it's foolish to do this and foolish to do that. And Paul himself even says, you foolish Galatians. I would then have to conclude that it is not the, it is not the words that are the problem. It is the heart behind those words. And so, we can also see just the general destructive power of anger. And we actually don't even have to look that far from the, we literally look at the next generation of humans from Adam and Eve. And we see it when we go to Genesis chapter 4, 4 through 8. It says, And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain then spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. So I look at that and go, if there was ever an argument for total depravity, it's right there in those verses. Because we literally went from Adam and Eve basically saying, we know better than God, we want to be better than God, to killing each other in the span of, you know, 20 years. (laughs) So, but also in this particular sermon, I think Christ is really hitting it, verse 7, Or it says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. This means that anger will cause us to act in some way. And acting out of that anger 
that particular rage that wants to destroy an object. That will be sin. So let's look at another example. He didn't necessarily kill anybody, but he did lock himself out of something big. If we go to Numbers 20, 10 through 12, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water forth out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So what was Moses' sin there? It's pride. He put himself and Aaron equal to or above God. He forgot where the water had come from. So, looking at those two examples, does that mean that, you know, anger is something we should never feel, we can't have, it's that sinful root that needs to be torn out? Well, as Paul says many times, by no means. Or my favorite translation of the phrase, God forbid. Because look at what is said in the Old Testament. God's anger burned against Uzzah, or insert whatever name here. God's anger burned against Israel, or insert whatever nation here. So then we have to look at and go, okay, what's the difference? Well, we can kind of see if we look at Moses again, but we go back a few books to Exodus chapter 32, when Moses came down from the mountain, destroying the tablets of the testimony, and he grinds up the calf that he sees there. He puts it in the water, forces them to drink, and then calls to the tribes and saying, who is on the side of the Lord? And the whole tribe of Levi answers him and kills 3,000 men of the assembly. Or we can also look at Christ himself that we would see later in Matthew and in the other Gospels when he cleanses the temple. We see him there chasing people with whips. We see him turning over tables. We see him throw, you know, yelling at others, screaming, you know, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. I, I always... I've always found, you know, those, you know, that, you know, big WW, you know, what would Jesus do movement? I always found that funny because of that scene right there. Because that literally says, well, chasing people with whips and flipping over tables is not out of the, not out of the equation. <laughs> we just have to do it in the right time and in the right place and for the right reasons. <laughs> so, what's, what's the difference? Uh, the four scenarios that I showed, we kind of now have to ask one, what's the difference? Why is... In these, you know, in the first two cases, the anger is sinful, and in the second two cases, it's not. Well, we have to look at what were they angry about. Cain, of course, was angry that Abel was getting all of the favor from God, but instead of sitting there and asking, okay, what does Abel have that I am obviously lacking here? Either asking Abel or, you know, and actually, arguably, he may have. It said Cain spoke to Abel. We don't know what they said. Or 
directly asking God when God said, why is your face fallen? Why are you angry? He just goes about his day, and then he just harbors that anger, that jealousy, until one day it causes him to kill his brother. And as for Moses, well, again, he just, in, you know, he was angry at the assembly because literally in the, like, verses before, they were literally grumbling against him again. <laughs> that seems to be, you know, in the Pentateuch, that seems to be Israel's kind of go line. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They grumbled against Moses and God. So <clears throat> Moses just had enough. He's like, look, I have done all of these things for you. I have led you. That was where his anger caused the problem. I have done all of these things. You haven't. You have literally been a mouthpiece for the one who has. You have been an instrument. You are a tool. <laughs> so then, so there we have where pride is rooted in that anger. And that is why it was sinful. Because it was a violation of the person, not the person's feeling the emotion not anything else. Now, as for the other two examples, well, in, Mo in Exodus 32, Moses, you know, Moses is up there getting all the commandments from God at the top of the mountain, and, Mo and God says, you need to go down there and do something because I'm going to wipe them out. And he goes, all right, God, let's, 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 let's think about this for a second. What, what are they going to say about you if they find out, you know, when they find out that you brought all your people out here and then just, they were gone. So Moses brings down the tablets. He comes to the foot of the mountain and he sees the idolatry and arguably the sexual sin because I've listened to John MacArthur's sermon on this and he says the rose up to play is a common Hebrew euphemism for orgies, you know, Wild, just, just wild, uninhibited sex. So that's when he throws the tablets down. He then goes to the alt, you know, <coughs> goes to the golden calf, destroys it, and does all of those things. And again, calls for the tribe of Levi to kill three thousand of the assembly. And in all of that, he didn't sin. Also. With Christ, I don't think we can accuse him of being sinful in anything he's ever done. At least I don't want to try. <laughs> um, so how, what was he angry at then? He wasn't necessarily angry with the fact that they were buying and selling in the temple because the Levitical law allowed for that. The people who were so far away from Jerusalem that they couldn't bring their sacrifice to the temple, well, they were allowed to sell the sacrifice in their homeland. They were then allowed, then they would then bring the money to Jerusalem and then depending on the sacrifice, they could either buy the appropriate animal or they could spend it on whatever they wanted and that was considered the sacrifice to the Lord. No, what he was upset about was the kinds of transactions or the way the transactions were being carried out and the kind of animals that were being sold. Because at that point, the animals that were usually being sold were not as the law required. They weren't perfect. They weren't without blemish. You'd get the, the runts, 
the blind, the deaf. Something, you know, something was wrong with them. And those were the animals that were being sacrificed on the altar. Also, the kinds of, you know, the way the transactions were being done. You know, you'd have people that were probably charging exorbitant prices for these animals in the first place, seeing as how the Jews were placed. Like, you need this. You have to do this. Or in less, you know, in more subtle cases, you are having people that were, you know, if they had to weigh out how much they were paying, well, let's, let's, let's tilt the scales a little bit more this way so that it, when it finally balances out, you're paying more than you actually should or would have. So that's what it was. It was the utter disrespect for the sacrifices to the Lord. And it was also just the blind thievery of those that were selling the animals. So, now if we look at those, and we can now clearly see the distinction, is that one is being born out of pride. It is a, you know, you have done something to me, therefore I am going to strike at you. The other, and John MacArthur actually has a series on like true humility, and he argues that this is why Moses, whether you agree that he wrote it or somebody else wrote it, this is why Moses gets to say that he was the most humble man on earth. It was because true humility will not raise a finger to defend itself. It will not get angry on its own behalf. But the second that God is blasphemed, sinned against, or done wrong, that is when it gets riled up. And that is when and that is when anger is sent in, because we are acting as God would act. So, for, to conclude here, I'm going to look at verses 23 through 26, and I'm going to kind of split them up into two. So, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him in court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you that you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So first I want to look at verses 23 and 24. Here Christ is kind of setting up you know, what Paul will later echo in the book of Romans, when he says, for, you know, basically where he says, for if it is in your power, live peaceably among all men. So, and we can kind of see that, where it says, if you are offering your gift, and remember, your brother has something against you, then you are to leave your gift. So this means it is calling us to be the reconcilers. We don't wait for him to come to us doesn't matter if he did something wrong to us or if we, you know, well, in this case, it's saying if you've done anything wrong to him, but it doesn't matter. We are to be reconciled with one another. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, why not be defrauded? Why not be lied to? Why not be cheated? It doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless in the grand scheme of eternity. So this also gets kind of the idea that was put forth by the prophets of Isaiah and Hosea when they talk about how God doesn't want, he, he doesn't, you know, the sacrifices 
aren't what he's looking for. His, he is looking for the hearts of the people to believe in what is coming from the sacrifices, not for the sacrifices themselves. And then we're going to look at 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him in court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge and the guard, or the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out till you have paid the last penny. This is just a warning that has both temporal and I would argue eternal ramifications and implications. Because here it is saying that we must be reconciled with those around us. Or it might just find out that whatever we did to them is, you know, an imprisonable offense. So if we can work through them and become forgiven, then I'm not saying we can, you know, don't have to pay the price for whatever it is we did, but it's the idea that maybe prison's not part of the, part of the uh, equation there. But it also has eternal implications because one day we will stand before the ultimate accuser. And at that point, it's too late. So that is why we need to be reconciled with him now. Um, and because we, and so, while we are in this life, essentially, we're literally walking to court with him. So it's time that we need to be reconciled with him. And because at that point, once, once, once we face our accuser there, we will be put in a prison through which there is no escape. There is no release. There is no forgiveness. That's it. You're done. Because we cannot pay the price at that time. We, we can't pay that price. But there is one who has, or who can and has, and that is Christ. So if we go to him in faith and be reconciled now, we, we will avoid, we can then not be thrown into that hell that is promised. Our Father and our God, we come before you tonight grateful that you have let us sit under your word twice today. And I ask that both Denton's sermon and mine may be enriching to the lives of the people that have heard it today. But I also ask for those who are in this room that have not been yet reconciled with Christ and the Father. And you, and you know who they are, Lord, and I ask that you would open their eyes and that they would seek that reconciliation to him before it's too late. And I also ask that when we are angry, Lord, that we would not be, ang be angry at the things of the flesh, but that we would be angry for the things of you. And that we would then be reconciled to those who have offended us or we have offended. In your son's name I pray. Amen.